0: Well, uh, hey, Mike. Hey. Hey, do you know why uh, jokes in base eight aren't funny? I mean, oh god, no. Because 7,
1: 10, 11. That's not funny. No. That's
0: what I said. I said they're not funny. Okay. So we're off to a good start, then.
1: Yes. What's new? um
0: fireworks went off last night not for me Oh, no. fail uh yeah happy fourth of july
1: just just of july i mean
0: the holiday happy wow. holiday of july
1: oh okay um i think it's happy
0: america day yeah okay happy america day also somalia day america day weekend what isn't Somalia's Independence Day the 4th? Maybe it's the 5th. It's right around here. Huh. Man. Um, So, remember last week when we were talking about how, like, Technicolor had this blog post where they said that everyone's scope sucked. <laughs> <theirs>? <laughs> yeah, I forgot. <laughs> uh-huh. And then you should buy their product because... Um, the scopes are better. Right. So, I went to buy their product. Turns yeah, out. I bought a bunch of copies this week.
1: Was that it? I'm looking forward. I'm future-proofing myself.
0: The updates are going to really make it shine. Uh, They killed it.
1: Yeah. Um, It's gone.
0: It's only been out for a little bit. Now it's gone.
1: Yeah, and they just released a new version shortly ago. So what's going on?
0: I mean, uh, it seems like...
1: I mean, the obvious answer is they didn't make them enough money for them to... Write blog posts about it.
0: Right. I think they. Real- oh, sorry. I bumped my mic. Um, I think they realized something that a lot of people realize, especially if you're used to being in a high profit margin, high dollar space. Selling a hundred dollar application um, is really hard to sustain if you're an organization that's set up around. So, I mean, I, I don't even know what. Like, what does technical make money on? Patents, um, right? Like, I do. I guess. I don't
1: I don't actually know. I mean I assume they've got some color science that they patent and sell to people.
0: Right.
1: And they have a they have like a LUT box, don't they?
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: On the high end. Don't they do LUT Probably. stuff I mean. for like um I thought they had yeah, they had a like a, a real time LUT box that they used for um video taps and stuff. But I don't know that can't be what they make all their money on.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean I mean so the the buzz on this seemed to be that it was sort of a fine product, like it wasn't f- you know, fundamentally flawed in terms of Everybody seemed to like it, yeah. But the problem was that it wasn't it wasn't that much better than the built-in stuff in NLE's and it wasn't good enough to replace Resolve. Well, and they weren't targeting at resolve right, but I'm just saying it sort of existed in this space where it was a perfectly functional application that solved no needs for anyone right um, but it's hard to know what they were expecting I mean again, the worldwide market for a color correction plugin at ninety nine dollars i mean don't i mean,
1: you say that, but I think red giants taken. You know magic bullet looks and colorista to the bank I well mean,
0: sure but i got to imagine that technicolor as a company is orders of magnitude larger than red giant well yeah i wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna like be their flagship product right and so i think it's just an issue of you know yeah
1: i mean i wonder how much of it is like they really like it was actually doing fine for what it was but they just had unrealistic expectations or how much of it was like people didn't like it as much as the other options like yeah. I wonder if it, if like if we looked at the numbers that they were generating, if we'd be like oh yeah that's that's actually good you know, I wonder if it's just like a frame of reference issue yeah
0: it also but see- my my ex you know
1: I think that maybe they were realistic and it also just didn't sell
0: yeah uh, that I suspect is true it's also a little surprising that they didn't sell the product on to someone
1: um well i mean really the product the, the biggest thing they had to sell is the name yeah as the product was the name you know the brand and then they were obviously weren't going to sell that
0: yeah to the exactly next right. buyer You're right
1: i mean what is it sony vegas color assist like who's gonna buy that yeah
0: huh well it was a little surprising coming on the heels of our discussion last week to see it killed so summarily yeah, um, and, really, and they're
1: also kind of pansy-ass in their way around killing it too. Yeah, like they're killing it, but they say they might do
0: updates for people who well, like, they're and easy. they're going to they've refunded the money from people who recently bought it. Like, and they're very excited about some things coming down the line in the future. And yeah, I mean, it's, weird. It seems like the sort of thing where the folks immediately involved in the product didn't know it was getting killed until the day it got killed. Yeah. Uh, which is too bad, and I don't know if it was internal development or if they were using contractors. Um, it was, seems odd that they would have the f- kind of folks on staff to do this particular type of development, but maybe they do. Mm, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll we'll see if these you know if any of this lands anywhere else or what we hear from Technicolor down the line. Yeah. So um, another follow up to last week. Um, we were talking about debugging last week and an article came up from Mike Ash based on a bug that was actually filed by Daniel Jalcut and then in uh, against code something 441 that was fixed. Um, But it was a compiler bug where if you compiled with Clang but linked against GCC 4.2 compiled frameworks, there was this edge condition you could run into. Um, But Mike Ash, as he always does, does a really great job of walking through how you sort of narrow down what's going on and then an explanation of what is actually going on in terms of how this bug works and how it's triggered yeah. um, and so definitely worth a read if you're into that kind of stuff and it was a good reminder um, that there are certainly still plenty of cases in which uh, hardcore debugging is the name of the game yeah yeah. for the,
1: for the video people listening it, um, it just sort of shows it's a good example of why app development is still more expensive than you think right, right. <laughs> it should be. It's because every project has some um, horrible debug days and that is what drives up the cost of software.
0: Absolutely. And, and um, you know, again, in this case, <laughs> the amount of work required to narrow it down is just pretty incredible. Um, and it's a bug with serious consequences, and it's a case where, sort of, no one was. It it, it even as as a bug, it wasn't the sort of thing where someone made a typo. It was, um, you know, two different programs operating under slightly different premises. Yep. Um, so, anyways, um, really cool to see it right up like this, and uh, nice to have it fixed as well. So. Um, other stuff. What else are you excited about this week? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What was, what was big this week? I mean, it's been a quiet week. It's a holiday week. Um, we had stuff about how fireworks work. We had the inevitable fireworks malfunctions. Yeah. know. Um, and, um, I don't know, in tech, um, you know, Apple's churning along towards iOS and Mavericks releases, and...
1: And the new iWatch.
0: Yes, uh, yeah. Apple's trademarking the word iWatch, which I really hope they don't use as a term, but maybe. Eh, it's not bad. No worse than any of their other ones. I want my Pebble back, I really miss it.
1: Mmm, yeah, I don't know. I'm still not... not convinced. I got a new watch, though, for my birthday. Oh, yeah, I know. I saw it. If Johnny Ives makes a watch that doesn't look like my Braun watch, I'm going to be mad.
0: (laughs) Um, Have you followed... Did you see... um, I think it was on Gruber's podcast. They were talking about the uh, graphic design of the 1972 Munich Olympics. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of German influences... No. Yeah. Do you want to talk at all about this file transporter or wait until we've actually got them? Yeah, let's... Yeah, sure. Why not? Um... Today, we ordered a couple um, of these file transporters. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, This was a Kickstarter project, actually. I'd kind of forgotten that. It was? Yeah. Um, The original batch came through a Kickstarter round. um, And it's sort of like a local Dropbox NAS thing. I really, when they first announced it, I I remember when it first made the rounds and I totally didn't get it. Like, I didn't get why anyone would need it.
1: Yeah. I'm still not sure I get it, but I think I do now.
0: Yeah. Um, do you want to explain it or should
1: I? So they're these little appliances, basically, that you hook up to your network. They look like, um, I don't know, they look like something. They look like there's uh, vacuums. Isn't I think there's like a bottle opener that looks like that or something. Uh, I don't know. But they, they're these little like round on the bottom, rectangular on the top, sort of weird thing. cone-y thing and you stick a drive in them or you buy them with a drive. They're made by the people who did Drobo. At least by the... Not the people, company, right. the people. Yeah. And they just... They're like... The idea is they're just dead simple storage on your local network that also like, can pair to other people's storage elsewhere. So you can... You know, so like what we did was we bought three of them. One is going to go in your office, one's going to go in my office, and one's going to go in the home office. And then they'll all have a two terabyte drive in them. And anytime time, just like Dropbox, we can set up folders inside of that drive that anytime any of us change it, the other, the other two teleporters will get the change list, basically, right. they'll be updated. Now do you know do they do like do they do any other Dropbox stuff like the backups and the revisions and such?
0: Uh, you know I'm not sure about that. Um, they do have I mean so they've got a desktop app that sort of manages all of this and can also be set to sync things to your local storage on your computer so that if you're offline, you have access to the files you want to have access to, and then it handles all the sync that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about the revision stuff. We'll have to take a look but at now But the drop the, the teleporters themselves will sync to each other, right? Right. Like, you don't need to have a machine. That's my understanding. Okay. Um, and then their software, combined with the fact that their hardware is checking in with their own web services, handles things like NAT traversal so that if you're away from your house, you can still access your storage, even if you're behind a NAT router. mm mm-hmm. um, And so it just, the idea is to make it seamless, to make it behave just like Dropbox, except that you own the drive. Um, So it's sort of a step on from a product like Pogo Plug, um, which was was an earlier product in this space, which was again, just sort of a drive you plugged into your network and it made itself a, a NAS storage, but it didn't have any of these, and then was accessible from anywhere through a web service, but didn't have these sort of value add features. Yeah. Um, it's got a whole user management system so you can share specific folders with specific people even if they don't have transporters and uh you know we'll see um they've got a now, big s- oh go ahead
1: do they use can i mean obviously they can get to it through the web that way but can they download the little app and get to it like as local stuff too uh
0: I'm not sure with about the that. revision that'd sure. be nice yeah um they've got a big software update coming within the next couple of weeks. It sounds like, um, mm. uh, version two, which is supposed to add a bunch of new features. They also have iOS and soon Android apps to access your files on the go. Oh, that's cool. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, the, the Dropbox I, I think is c- going to continue to be the gold standard by far, but, um, the pricing model for Dropbox doesn't make a ton of sense if you need large amounts of sort of bulk storage. Um, right for us I mean the reason why we went with it is
1: because we have we do integration testing for clip wrap which is basically we run you know a corpus of hundreds of files through every time we're going to release just to make sure that they you know these sample files from all the cameras that we support still transcode and rewrap properly and so you know Basically everything else we do as a company is on Dropbox. But we've got I mean, how big is our test thing? Four hundred some gigs now? Pretty pretty big. Right. And so it's just sort of prohibitive to do that. Not to mention I don't want it sunk on all my, you know, laptops and stuff. Exactly. And so this'll give us a little more granularity. And then, you know, I think it makes sense for us having like a mid, you know, in the office here, you know, having like a midway point where everything sort of sits, so that you know all of the computers in the office don't have concurrent copies of everything.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, and Dropbox will continue to make a lot of sense for other things. Um, and you're obviously getting a different class of storage and reliability and things, potentially. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm interested. And it will not a huge investment. Um, and it's a one-time cost, so yeah. yeah. We shall see. We'll, we'll give a review after we've used it for a few weeks and, and see how it works out.
1: Yeah, after we've sunk everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, one of the cool things, I think, is that they, they seem at least ostensibly pretty smart about how they sync, so that if you, you know, what they recommend is for your first initial sync, if you have the option, you just sort of put them all on the same network, and they'll do everything locally. Sure. Um, and then you can move them apart, and then they'll do everything via the via the net. Um, so. Right. But. Hmm. Yeah, should be done. Yep, we'll see. Indeed, um, 3D printed casts. This I thought was actually really cool. It's um, proof of concept at this point. They haven't actually set anyone's broken bones with it, um, but the idea is a cast that can be like for a broken arm or something that can be um, custom sized to a particular person through you know laser scanners or whatever, and then 3D printed. Um, and the cast they're printing because they're printing it in plastic instead of making it out of whatever casts are made of. Every glass now um it can be much more airy much lighter um and you know deal even better with water and all of that um so the cast they've got looks really cool and i think you know we we, we've, we talk a lot about 3d printing and often don't have good use cases for what it will actually be used for in the real world and this one made a lot of sense to me
1: yeah so how do they get it on
0: uh, that I had a question about as well.
1: I mean, it definitely it looks just loose. The demo, it's like, oh look, he slid his hand into it like a glove, but right. you obviously couldn't do that with a cast.
0: Um, it may be like two pieces that you clamp on, and then.
1: And so here's the other thing. This this technology is actually already in use, in a much cooler way. What's that? Um, when I got my finger chopped off, it was also broken, just the end of it. And they, uh, they put a cast on it. And the way they did it was, it was this like really low heat polymer, plastic polymer. And they like dipped it in, it was like a mesh, kind of like this. And they dipped it in hot water for a while. And then they like just shaped it hmm. around my finger. And they could like cut it, you know, when it was when it was in its pliable state, they could cut it with scissors and they could kinda like use a little torch to join it back together and stuff. Huh. And so they made a little like you know, like full finger size thimble, basically, out of this plastic.
0: Yeah. That I wore for a month. Hmm. Wow.
1: Well, yeah. I don't know.
0: I guess I haven't I haven't broken any bones that could be cast so i've never had to wear a cast just just your skull just my the back and that cat i mean i did wear a cast for that but it was a like big plastic thing for my whole torso diaper yeah Plastic diaper yeah huh
1: yeah i don't know it'll be cool yeah print them we'll see
0: yeah uh i'm assuming this will go nowhere but uh it was pretty cool looking go so that's a cheery thought um right then what else is on our list here i can't hide my google docs is all screwed up there Oh, this EOS autofocus thing, I don't understand. Um, if anyone has any details or if Canon has published a paper somewhere that I have not found, they launched the new EOS 70D this week, um, which is a digital SLR with a almost exclusively focused on filmmaking, which we can get to in a second. Um, and they, one of the new features is that they can now do autofocus during movie recording without having to sort of... If you've ever shot like, once. Yeah, yeah, with every shot with one of their other DSLRs, when you can autofocus while you're recording video, but it's going to sort of, you know, defocus and refocus, and it's going to hunt all over and be horrible and noisy. Um, and they've got a new CMOS technology that somehow lets them do focus during recording, but there are no details I could find on how this tech actually works.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the way that the... Yeah, so traditional DSLRs focus using a rangefinder, They actually, like, shoot infrared, right?
0: Yeah. And the way they
1: do it is they bounce it off the the mirror. So you can only focus while the mirror is down, which is why you can't use it for video. That's why the the still focus system cannot be used when you're shooting video. Correct? Right. Right. I'm not sure what the technology is, but they definitely bounce, whatever it is, they bounce it off that mirror, the DSLR mirror. Um, And so the way that it works in video mode is it's actually like digital signal processing. What they do is they like slug the focus out and then move it across the range, and they look for the area that has the most detail, and then they set the focus back to that. And so they basically just like hunt around until they find sharp edges. And once they find sharp edges, then they know they're in focus, Um, which is why you can't shift from focusing on one thing to the other without overshooting because it doesn't know where to, you know, that it uses the overshooting to actually find the focal point. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really say what they're doing now, does it?
0: No, um, and I hunted around a bit to try and find something more specific and couldn't. Um, What about more broadly? Do you think there's sort of... It seems strange to me to be dedicating a camera product like this to filmmaking at this point. Does that seem strange to you at all?
1: No, I mean...
0: Just, Just in the sense that it feels like the DSLR video revolution has... Past in a lot of ways.
1: Right, but I mean, what is Canon supposed to do, like, go out of business?
0: No, but I mean, they launched this product and talked almost nothing about its, you know, still shooting capabilities. Which is fine. I mean, people are still buying DSLRs to shoot video, Mm. even though the
1: fad's kind of over. I mean especially people who don't shoot video like for a living. I mean, you know, maybe you're not gonna buy this to shoot your your movie, but you know, lots of people watch a lot of Vimeo videos and are like, wow, that looks really nice. I wish, you know, I'm never gonna buy a camcorder for my, you know, family vacations, but these DSLRs look really, really nice.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, people are, you know, there are a lot of people shooting DSLR still for video. And there's no reason to like, you know, just because, I mean, no, it's not going to be the number one camera ever, but that doesn't mean they're not going to sell a ton of them.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll give it to you. I I was, I was thought it was strange, but perhaps you're right. You do still see plenty of them in use, I suppose.
1: You see them in use and like, you know, there are a lot of people who aren't going to go out and buy uh you know, black magic pocket cinema camera because the workflow sucks. And because, you know, they're not video people and they don't really, you know, a DSLR that shoots really good video is a pretty compelling, you know, you can convince someone to drop a lot of money on that pretty easily.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I suppose you're right. And
1: okay. then all you need to do is win you know, win all the sales in the cohort of people who are trying to buy a DSLR that shoots video.
0: True. Um, Speaking of crazy optical technology, I'm good at that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't see this article on telescopic contact lenses? No. Um, It's sort of a mixed bag. So the idea is they've designed a sort of contact lens sized set of optics. that is a normal contact lens, but then when you put a special pair of glasses on, become 2.8x zoom contact lenses. Right. Um, It's pretty preliminary now. These aren't something you can actually put on your eye, and the optical quality of the zoom is not particularly great.
1: I mean, you could probably put them on your eye. You just couldn't close your (laughs) eyelid. Right, (laughs) Um, right. Which has its downsides.
0: Aren't they made of, like, brass? I mean, they look like brass or something.
1: Yeah, they're definitely not.
0: They wouldn't be awesome. No. Um, but it's a really cool idea um, in terms of. Yeah, it's neat. It's like.
1: Cybernetic. Whatever. Yeah. What's the thing called?
0: Cybernetic? Cyborg.
1: Cyborg. Like, like cyborgy. It's like
0: cool. Cybertech. What?
1: What they need to do is figure out a way to make the lens do the zoom and not the glasses. Because you have to take right. glasses on and off, then At that might point, as well just have reading glasses. Right, or, yeah, zoom glasses or something. Well, yeah, I mean, this is basically the same zoom as a set of reading glasses. I suppose, yeah. Huh. But if they can figure out a way to get rid of that.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you make something like that switchable without electronics, but...
1: Mm, you could do it with electronics.
0: Yeah, but that ups the complexity quite a bit.
1: So you put a coil in it. Mm. You could have a contact with a coil that was nothing but a. So you can make, um, piezoelectric lenses. Yeah. Or not, not even piezoelectric, there are like, um, What's the technology with, uh, like, LCD? You can make an LCD lens. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. I'd get a pair of those.
0: I wonder if you could make something, that, like, where you you know, clenching your jaw or something. I imagine there's some sort of, you know, physiological reaction that deforms your eyeball enough that you could probably construct a lens that sort of, in that deformation, uh, changed its characteristics.
1: Hmm. Like... Like if you... Okay, I got it. So if you're like... You do the thing like uh, Newton did to figure out... Yeah. Optics. You stick a toothpick behind your eyeball. Yeah. And as you pull down on it, you zoom in.
0: Yeah. That sounds reasonable. You could just leave the toothpick in there then. Well, yeah. You okay. just leave it. And then when you want to zoom in, you go... You just sort of yank on them a little bit. Is there anything... I suppose we don't know enough about how um, the visual system works in the brain. I wonder if you could design... Oh, this you like
1: want to zoom in in your head?
0: Well, well, that that would be interesting, too. No, I was thinking, um, is there anything you could do essentially like using, delivering different signals to both eyes such that when you closed one eye, you... You can do that already. I mean, just put a lens on one eye. No, no, but what I'm saying is something that like you got normal vision with both eyes open and then you close one eye and you get zoom vision through the other eye. I don't know. Like what, you know, how does your, because your brain is constructing.
1: And yeah, I know, I think that'd be a little weird.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. I'll throw a link in the show notes to this VFX breakdown from The Great Gatsby. I have not seen that yet. You saw it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's nice. I mean, you know, there are lots of shots in the Gatsby where you're like, oh, wow, that was really fake and then you watch this breakdown and it's none of those shots right it's like oh that shot was fake too oh that whole building was fake oh you know they didn't ever shoot on location all those window shots were vfx right you know like that kind of thing it's just you know it's just interesting to see like i mean it was an over-the-top movie but it wasn't really i mean it, it wasn't like what i would consider like an effects driven movie mm-hmm But it's just
0: interesting to see like how much of stuff is done in post now, right? It's all set extension and yeah, exactly. um, Yeah, it was. It's definitely good to see because so much of it is those subtle changes. Yeah. Um, Even in cases where you know some of these things you look at and you wonder why they needed to do some of the set extensions because they are filming on real locations and things, but it's a cost thing, you know. Like there was a garden shot with a big sort of swooping helicopter shot. And, you know, the post had involved adding flower beds and things. And, you know, it's a lot easier to make digital flower beds, you know, having a VFX guy working 80 hours for no money than to bring in real flowers. Yeah. Um, So anyways, these are those are always fun to look at. Yeah. So last thing on our, our list is this 3D laser thing that I've been playing with today or looking at today. You got one? Well, no, but I... I, So what started me down this chain was um, I was looking at some concert footage from the How to Destroy Angels tour, which is um, the new band, newish band, fronted by Trent Reznor and his wife, Mara Queen. Um, And they did some really amazing visuals as part of their tour. And one of the things involved, they had this sort of a series of... um, hanging strips of reflective fabric that then they were projecting onto and creating this really interesting depth effect. And that got me thinking about what options there are for sort of creating 3D imagery using, um, you know, cubes of LEDs. And there's obviously a lot of people who've done that kind of tech before. Um, And that ended up leading me to um, this pulsed laser 3D technology out of Japan. Um, The first paper was published back in like 2006 or so and the technology sort of advanced since then. But the idea is you use a laser to create little balls of plasma by just nuking bits of air. Yeah. And so you can make 3D images appear in space. Yeah. It's pretty cool, again. I mean, yeah, it's... And right now, it's obviously pretty basic. Um, they're making dots that are one color. But um, there's our, there's a paper out there on creating different colors, and... It, I don't know. It, it sort of gets you... So the idea is you don't need any medium to reflect images off of because it's not projection-based. You're creating light right. at a point in space. Right. Um, I hadn't seen it before, and I'm sort of fascinated by it. I'd like to see it in real life. I also like that it makes a lot of sound. It makes the noise, the air crackles. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe not gonna take off as a technology. It's pro- I mean you're probably not gonna put it in your house, but
1: uh also the ozone.
0: <laughs> uh also you probably don't want to put your hand in
1: into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. It basically just burn a hole in your hand, right? I mean, uh, the lasers have to be pretty strong.
0: I've got to imagine, I mean, they are yeah plasmifying air. What's the verb there? Plasiating. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I don't know. Huh? Crazy. Yeah. Any other?
1: Probably not gonna have one at our NAV booth this year.
0: But next year.
1: You know. This year we're just gonna do a giant. We're gonna build the entire booth out of TVs.
0: I want to. No, let's. Do I it. still want
1: to do that. Let's mm. do that.
0: I want to do LEDs. Just strips of LEDs. Oh God.
1: Yeah, let's yeah, why why make products when we could spend the next year soldering stuff together?
0: Exactly. Yeah, perfect. And I'm sure you can buy them pre made. Yeah, that's affordable too. <laughs> Do you know actually I was gonna ask about this because I was as I was doing this thinking. Are there technology products out there that think about outputting and what even would be the signal you would output a three D signal for display that wasn't just stereoscopic? So if you have' I mean a like like if you have a volumetric display like that, I'm
1: saying what's the VHS for it
0: yeah I
1: don't I think they're all kinda I don't think there's a standard for that yet
0: there's not like a uh VGA where the V stands for voxel I don't think so okay, but that was pretty witty right sure voxel what's the G and the A stand for? Graphics adapter, graphics array, graphics attachment, <laughs> graphics attachment, voxel no, graphics fun. attachment. What, no, I mean, what is it for VGA? Mm, Visa graphics array? Visa? Really? Doesn't the V stand for Visa? It's not for video? And I don't think so, because it was like XGA was. Oh, no, it's video graphics array. You're right. There you go. It's array? That's a weird. Yeah. Why is it an array? Because it's um, not a dictionary.
1: Mm, These jokes have to stop. (laughs) Uh, Even if it means killing you.
0: (laughs) Stop the joke. Because there was CGA and XGA. You never got any of these because you were over in the Mac world.
1: I know. We just had black and white.
0: And then one day you had color. Yep. It was system 603.
1: No, I had color on my Mac plus.
0: I thought the OS didn't get color till like.
1: No, it didn't. But there was this awesome uh, um, like panel you could add, a D log or whatever. You could add like an system extension. And there were these apps that could push color. And what would happen is it used the um, what's that physical principle where you pulse black and white and it starts to look color. Yeah, it did that for your dithered black and white only display.
0: Oh. That was so cool. That sounds like a bad idea. You could be like, if I blink really fast, it looks green. (laughs) Or yellow.
1: It was was super cool. It wasn't like a thing you used, but it was a fun little app.
0: I remember we had color on our Apple II, but only for like a few months because somehow we ended up with a spare TV or something. Hmm. I think we had it hooked up to the TV, and that was a big deal. And then we went back yeah. to the green monitor that the Apple IIc sat under. Mm. Oh, those were cool. Mm. So, Sea dragon I hey,
1: okay. I know what you're talking about.
0: That was a game for the Apple II.
1: Mm. I was a Texas Instruments guy. TI-99-4, eh? Huh. Oh, yeah. With the Play-Doh system. It was a super cool machine, and a disk drive, like huh. before disk drives were even a thing. Also, it booted into BASIC. What could be better than that?
0: That is actually pretty cool. But the Apple II kind of... What did the Apple II boot into? Ah, like Apple DOS. Apple DOS. Yeah. yeah. Written by Bill Gates. B-run. That's all I remember. B-run, Spy Hunter. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah. com- computers are fun. So you wanna move on to chatter? I think it's personal sure. holiday show. We're both blah, blah, blah. Yeah. blah. A little hungover. Um, You're hungover, right? I'm hungover on lack of sleep. Mm. That's not a thing. It's st- starting to feel like a thing. Should no. Stop playing with that chapstick.
1: Probably. Yeah. What's your what's your
0: channel, Colin? Uh I don't know, I have to scroll down. Oh, 3D printable drones. This was actually not much of a thing. <laughs> and <Fancy>. scene. <laughs> uh, I think he's a French guy. He's probably French. He, he, you know, it's plans to 3D print a bunch of parts and then attach motors and um, that open source drone controller thing that I'm liking on the name of, flight control or whatever, um, to, so that you can clamp propellers onto any object and then sort of stack a battery and a receiver on top of it and turn it into a flying thing. And it's it's very much in this category of anything with more than one rotor is called a drone. Um, yes, it's, it's a, a... It's a remote control plane, helicopter. Remote control quad rotor. Uh, right, that yeah. you can attach to any object that is sufficiently light enough to be lifted by the four propellers. It's, again, more interesting as the case of someone who's developed this sort of complete kit intended to be 3D printed by the end users, which I think is, you know, starts to get interesting at some point. Yeah. Uh, Less interesting as a quote-unquote drone. Yes. What's your uh, thing?
1: Uh, So my chatter... is a video that's going around today which is um one of these uh you know ad firms um rigged some like transducers up to par uh bus windows and train windows the idea being Tired people rest their head against the window and try to sleep. And this like talks to you through your skull. So you hear the noise, you hear the voice in your head anytime you set your head against the window.
0: Yeah, this is pretty horrifying. Yeah, this is like where I don't want the advertising. Yeah, and and no one else can hear it. Um, no one else can hear it. And it goes away as soon as you lift your head up. Yeah because it's through vibration do, do you have any sense because the video is slick and sexy yeah. and everything do you have any sense of how well this actually works no okay I mean so bone conduction is how
1: the google glasses work yeah Yeah. so it's obviously good enough to like I don't know I don't know if you listen to music through it probably not but you can hear stuff you can hear beeps and bloops hmm and obviously, voices. Yeah, um, yeah because the Google Glass even does it for, like, their video chats and stuff. So it can't be horrible. Right. Um, I just don't want, you know, the day the advertising starts showing up in my head is the day I shoot up something.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is also, like, um, the... St- the- focused sound stuff um that uses little um, I don't know like sound lasers right exactly yeah um and people have demoed those sort of targeting specific people in a crowd or people walking by a specific space or something those are pretty cool they are pretty cool but again it's there's something about feeling personally targeted by an advertiser in a way that you're the only one experiencing it is both creepy and horrifying and a variety of other things yeah um So it'll be interesting to see if... I mean, this was, I think, just proof of concept. I don't think they actually did this as a...
1: They were like... No, they were like advertising the technology. It was like one of those videos you do. Right,
0: right. I don't think these are actually deployed at this point, but it seems like they want to deploy them, so... Yeah, they
1: probably want a client to come to them and say, make it so.
0: And of course, the reality is... I, I. You know, if I'm on a train and I put my head against the window and this happens, I'm not going to like put my head back on it to hear the whole advertisement. Maybe the first time you would. Mm. Because it's so weird.
1: Maybe. Like, you're going to debug it for a little bit. Like, where did that voice come from? And then stick your head and be like, whoa, it must be because I'm sticking my head against it. And then you're going to want to figure out why someone went through the trouble of putting a voice in your head. And then yes. it's gonna just be like buy more Ovaltine and then you're gonna be pissed. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know.
0: I guess it's fine.
1: Public spaces. Do what you want.
0: But don't be fuck, surprised if we vandalize it.
1: Yeah, you know, fuck the public arena. It's, those days are gone. Hmm. It's, not, it's not for us anymore.
0: But, you know, other than that. So that's a cheery thought.
1: I mean, I just, I don't know how we got to this point where everything is ad subsidized and costs money. Like, okay, if you want to advertise to me on the train, great. But don't charge me for it. Right. I, you know, and I want there to be... Wi-Fi. You know. Well, and I want there to be, like, a private one that I can opt into or actually
0: pay to not be fucked with. Well, but then the problem is, of course, that... You know, in any of these situations, there's always a cost disparity one way or the other between what can be supported on advertising and what can be supported by charging you. Right. So maybe we should just charge for things. But and do less advertising. Yeah, but, you know, so the Washington Post just launched their paywall. We've got the Times have a paywall. Our local paper has a paywall. I mean, at some point, you know, at least in terms of the way our society's organized, we've built a lot of our assumptions on the idea that, you know, a newspaper is, I don't know. Not free. N- no, but uh, near free. Right, but, I mean,
1: assuming they don't stop printing papers, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess papers have always been the, the flip side of my argument. They've always been Charging and charging everybody—you know—they're subsidized by you know three independent
0: sources. Right.
1: Uh, I don't know. I just you know, just stay out of my head.
0: Yeah. I have to. I have to be the opt-in to advertising.
1: That's my only thing.
0: Yeah, and the opt-out shouldn't involve like you know drilling into your brain with a Yeah. gun. Yeah. Although I will do that if I have to. <laughs> to. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know. So how does the, the bone conduction works on vibrating your inner ear? Right? It's not. Yeah. it Must. Yeah. So you'd have to just take that out. Yeah, you take out your
1: inner ear. Okay. It's not the end of the world. No. I guess you just drain it, probably. <laughs> no. It, no. It can't. It, is it more than that?
0: Well, it can't be like stimulating your brain directly, right?
1: No, it can't be that. But it. Yeah, no, it must be that. But then, then, so people with people with hearing loss, it doesn't work on? I thought they used it for hearing aids. No, Wait. hmm. Because hearing loss is almost always the hairs in the inner ear yeah. being damaged, which would be the thing you're vibrating ultimately.
0: Well, but maybe it vibrates more than... Yeah, maybe. I guess you always turn up the volume. Turn up, yeah. Uh, hmm. So maybe you mm-hmm. could stop it just by like shooting, you know, great stuff foam into your ear and seizing everything up for a while.
1: No, because the hairs are in liquid behind oh, that's your right. little trumpet thing, your mm-hmm. little trumpet snail. <laughs> I almost
0: went to med school. <laughs> um. Okay, so it's back to the drill then. Okay. Well, yeah. hopefully this doesn't uh, get rolled out to the. Of course, you guys don't have public transit anymore, anyways.
1: Oh no, they came back today. Oh. Uh-huh.
0: They didn't solve anything, but they're back. Oh, okay. Well, go they're gonna They're going to try again in a month. Okay. No, I'm all for unions.
1: I mean, come on. But, mm, I don't know. They should have solved it. They should have just stayed on strike until things were fixed.
0: But then BART wouldn't work.
1: Right. That's the point of a strike.
0: It's right. supposed to be painful. Yeah. <laughs> if if you pass- only strike when people
1: don't need your thing... But but you wait till convenient like, time. Bart never works.
0: Uh, I mean, I know. Really. <laughs> okay. We'll stop there. Okay. Next week, we'll have news. We'll be awake. Yeah.
1: Actually, no promises.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bye.